Section 66 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Mark by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 14, verses 43 to 52. Christ taken prisoner by his enemies. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Mark, chapter 14, verses 43 to 52. And immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him, and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him, and saith, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him, and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword, and smote a servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered, and said unto them, Are ye come out, as against a thief, with swords and with staves, to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and ye took me not. But the scripture must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him, and fled. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth, and fled from them naked. Let us notice in these verses how little our Lord's enemies understood the nature of his kingdom. We read that Judas came to take him with a great multitude, with swords and staves. It was evidently expected that our Lord would be vigorously defended by his disciples, and that he would not be taken prisoner without fighting. The chief priests and scribes clung obstinately to the idea that our Lord's kingdom was a worldly kingdom, and therefore supposed that it would be upheld by worldly means. They had yet to learn the solemn lesson contained in our Lord's words to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. Now is my kingdom not from hence. John chapter 18 verse 36 we shall do well to remember this in all our endeavors to extend the kingdom of true religion. It is not to be propagated by violence or by an arm of flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. The cause of truth does not need force to maintain it. False religions, like Mohammedism, have often been spread by the sword. False Christianity, like that of the Roman Church, has often been enforced on men by bloody persecutions. But the real gospel of Christ requires no such aids as these. It stands by the power of the Holy Ghost. It grows by the hidden influence of the Holy Ghost on men's hearts and consciences, there is no clearer sign of a bad cause in religion than a readiness to appeal to the sword. Let us notice, secondly, in these verses, how all things in our Lord's passion happened according to God's word. His own address to those who took him exhibits this in a striking manner. The scripture must be fulfilled. There was no accident or chance in any part of the close of our Lord's earthly ministry. The steps in which he walked from Gethsemane to Calvary were all marked out hundreds of years before. The 22nd Psalm, 
and the fifty-third chapter of Isaiah were literally fulfilled. The wrath of his enemies, his rejection by his own people, his being dealt with as a malefactor, his being condemned by the assemblies of the wicked, all had been foreknown, and all foretold. All that took place was only the working out of God's great design to provide an atonement for the world's sin. The armed men whom Judas brought to lay hands on Jesus were, like Nebuchadnezzar and Sennacherib, unconscious instruments in carrying God's purpose into effect. Let us rest our souls on the thought that all around us is ordered and overruled by God's almighty wisdom. The course of this world may often be contrary to our wishes. The position of the church may often be very unlike what we desire. The wickedness of worldly men and the inconstancies of believers may often afflict our souls. But there is a hand above us, moving the vast machine of this universe and making all things work together for his glory. The scriptures are being yearly fulfilled. Not one jot or tittle in them shall ever fail to be accomplished. The kings of the earth may take counsel together, and the rulers of the nations may set themselves against Christ. Psalm 2, verse 2. But the resurrection morning shall prove that, even at the darkest time, all things were being done according to the will of God. Let us notice, lastly, in these verses, how much the faith of true believers may give way. We are told that when Judas and his company laid hands on our Lord, and he quietly submitted to be taken prisoner, the eleven disciples all forsook him and fled. Perhaps up to that moment they were buoyed up by the hope that our Lord would work a miracle and set himself free. But when they saw no miracle worked, their courage failed them entirely. Their former protestations were all forgotten. Their promises to die with their master rather than deny him were all cast to the winds. The fear of present danger got the better of faith. The sense of immediate peril drove every other feeling out of their minds. They all forsook him and fled. There is something deeply instructive in this incident. It deserves the attentive study of all professing Christians. Happy is he who marks the conduct of our Lord's disciples and gathers from it wisdom. Let us learn from the flight of these eleven disciples not to be overconfident in our strength. The fear of man does indeed bring a snare. We never know what we may do if we are tempted, or to what extent our faith may give way. Let us be clothed with humility. Let us learn to be charitable in our judgment of other Christians. Let us not expect too much from them, or set them down as having no grace at all, if we see them overtaken in a fault. Let us not forget that even our Lord's chosen apostles forsook him in his time of need. Yet they rose again by repentance, and became pillars of the church of Christ. Finally, let us leave the passage with a deep sense of our Lord's ability to sympathize with his believing people. If there is one trial greater than another, it is the trial of being disappointed in those we love. It is a bitter cup, which all true Christians have frequently to drink. Ministers fail them, relations fail them, friends fail them. One cistern after another proves to be broken, and to hold no water. But let them take comfort in the thought that there is one unfailing friend, even Jesus, who can be touched with the feeling of their infirmities, and has tasted of all their sorrows. 
Jesus knows what it is to see friends and disciples failing him in the hour of need. Yet he bore it patiently, and loved them notwithstanding all. He is never weary of forgiving. Let us strive to do likewise. Jesus, at any rate, will never fail us. It is written, His compassions fail not. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 Footnote the question has often been asked, who was the certain young man mentioned at the end of this passage, on whom the young men laid hold, and who fled away naked? St. Mark is the only evangelist who relates this circumstance, and he has given us no clue to further knowledge as to who it was, or why the event is mentioned. No satisfactory answer to these questions has yet been given. The utmost that can be said of any of the explanations attempted is, that they are conjectures and speculations. Some, says Petter in his commentary on Mark, have thought that it was one of the twelve disciples, viz. James, the son of Alphaeus, the Lord's brother or kinsman of our Saviour, whose appearance was perhaps like our Lord's. This is the view of Epiphanius and Jerome. Others have thought that it was John, the beloved disciple. This is the view of Ambrose, Chrysostom, and Gregory, but it could be neither of them, nor any of the other twelve, because it is said immediately before that they all fled upon the taking of our Saviour, whereas this young man followed our Saviour at this time. It is more likely that it was some good young man, who dwelt near the garden of Gethsemane, who hearing the noise and stir that was made about the taking and binding of our Saviour, did arise suddenly out of his bed to see what was the matter, and perceiving that they had cruelly taken and bound our Saviour, and were leading him away, did follow after him to see what would be done with him, whereby it appears that he was a well-wisher to our Saviour. Theophylact and Euthymius think it probable that it was some young man who followed our Lord from the house where he ate the Passover with his disciples. Some think that it was the evangelist Mark himself. Some have thought that St. Mark's purpose in relating the event is to show the cruelty, rage, and ferocity of those who took our Lord. They were ready to lay hands on any one who was anywhere near him, and to make prisoners indiscriminately of all who even appeared to be connected with him. Some have thought that the whole transaction exhibits the utter desertion of our Lord. This young man, says Clarius, would rather escape naked than be taken as one of the followers of Christ. Some have thought that it is related to show the real peril in which the disciples were, and make it plain that they saved their lives only by their flight. One eminent divine regards the whole event as strongly figurative. He sees in it an antitype of what took place on the day of atonement and at the cleansing of a leper. He considers the young man escaping to represent the goat let go free and the bird let loose, while our Lord represents the goat offered up and the bird slain. See Leviticus chapter 14 verse 7 and chapter 16 verse 22. I offer no opinion on any of the above explanations, excepting that I took on the last as eminently fanciful and unsatisfactory. Bullinger remarks sensibly, It does not interest us so much to know who this young man was, and it would not bring any great fruit to us if we did know. If it had been useful and wholesome for us to know, the Spirit of God would not have been silent seeing that he is often marvelously diligent in relating very minute things. End of footnote. End of section 66.